All right, well, we are in the silly, crazy, ridiculous season of, uh, of the year that we call Christmas. And so for our services for the next few weeks, we're going to bring a little bit of a focus towards the Christmas message and what that means with us, particularly in the context of being all in. And so we're going to get straight into it because according to the, the schedule, I have about 10 minutes. But because this is the last time that I get to share with you as a member of the team, you have two choices today. You can either sit back and enjoy it for a bit longer than normal, or you can endure it because it's the last time. So, uh, so you, you determine what you want to do there, but I, I'm just going to preach anyway, so get comfortable. Romans 8 verse 28 very famous, popular scripture. If you grew up in church, if you visited Sunday school for even more than one week, you would remember this as a memory verse. I believe Salty sung a song about it. No, no one remembers that one. I had a birthday a couple of weeks ago, so I'm reminiscing on my younger years. Verses haven't yet written a song about it, but they might soon. But it says, Romans 8 verse 28, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. And we know, everyone say we know. We know. We know that God causes everything to work together. For the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But do we really know that? I mean, we say it, it's in the book of Romans. Paul was writing it to the church in Rome. For we know, and we know that God causes everything. But let's think about it. Do we actually know that? Because the word that comes after that is the word everything. Paul isn't saying to the church here and of course to us today, for we know that all the good things that happen in our life work together. He's saying that the, everything that happens in our life works together for good. And do you know what that word everything means? Everything, yeah. There's nothing tricky about the word that sits behind that in the original text. It actually means everything that happens in our life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all work together for good. But do we really know that in our life? Or do we put things in compartments and think, hang on, only the good things in my life, the bad things, the ugly things, those things that happen, they don't work together for good in my life. It's only the good things. But the Bible teaches us very clearly that all things, everything works together. And that word there, is the Greek word synergio, which we get the word synergy from. And I was always taught and and had the understanding that synergy meant one plus one equals three. Stand by, teachers, we're all good. And I understood it as there's what I can do, there's what you can do, and then there's what we can do together 
is the understanding that I have of the word synergy. So when, when God is teaching us through this scripture, a principle of the kingdom of God, he's saying to us, hang on, there's, there's the good and the bad and the ugly. And, and because I come into the situation, somehow everything synergizes together to be good. Even though it was horrible or it didn't go to plan or it was a mistake or it was a regret. Now, I have found in my life, when, when, you, when you go all in to saying, yes, God, I will preach your word, that things tend to happen in your life that become preaching examples and stories. And uh, a couple of years ago, I think I may have told this story, but if you have heard it before, <laughs> it's well worth hearing again. It's one of my f- classics. Uh, I decided that I needed to go and, and, and go up to the mountains, uh, up in a place called Nundal. And, uh, and I like to do a bit of hiking and exploring and just walking along rivers up there and stuff like that. So a couple of years ago, I went up there for the day and uh, I couldn't take the big car because Mel needed that one. So I took our little car, an old Nissan Pulsar 2003 model, but, but I didn't let that stop me. And as I was driving around, I thought, I have a choice here. I can either walk multiple kilometers down to the river or I can just take my car down this four-wheel drive track it'll be fine and it was fine I got all the way through weaving through the bush uh, in in my little 2003 Nissan Pulsar over the dirt no problem down the hills and then I thought to myself this is a little bit silly I am in the wrong place in the wrong vehicle it took me about 37 minutes to to realize that so I thought this is what I need to do I, I need to turn around and I need to get back out of here before something happens. Well, something happened because I had gone down a hill in my car, which when you're not in a four-wheel drive, it's very easy to roll down a muddy hill. It's considerably more difficult to get back up that hill when it's raining and it's muddy and you are most definitely in the wrong type of vehicle. So honestly, for a couple of hours... I gave it a go, trying to get up the hill, and I would get to a point where my tires would just lose traction, and I would just end up spinning in this spot. After a while, after getting down on my, literally, hands and knees and saying to God, I will do anything if you get me out of this. If you just get, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything that you ask of me, if you just get me out of here without me having to call someone for help. <laughs> And uh, I, I had this, uh, it can only be godly wisdom. I got the shovel out of the back of my car. I was prepared for everything except the right vehicle. And I uh, filled the track with uh, rocks, which gave me the traction to get out of there. I got to the top, retracted every promise that I had made God at the bottom of the hill, got myself out of that mountain and, and went back home. And a few weeks later, I, I shared that as a story, as an analogy at a combined youth gathering. And a whole bunch of young people gave their life to Christ that night. And I remember driving home and thinking, God, thanks for putting me in that situation just to give me that story so that lives could be changed tonight. And he said, you idiot, you put yourself in that situation. Well, he didn't call me an idiot. That's just how I interpret it. To God, why did you put me in there? I didn't. You made a dumb decision. You put yourself at the bottom of the mountain. I'm just 
synergizing it. I'm just making all things work together for good because you love me and you trust me. So we do dumb things like take our two-wheel drive cars down the bottom of mountains and try and get out. But it doesn't matter if it's our fault, if it's in our control, if it's outside of our control, if it's a mistake that we've made or things that have just happened to us. God still uses those things to work together somehow in his incredible way to make it still work for good in our life. There's another story I heard about a young couple and, uh, and, and they, got, they were teenagers, they got pregnant. And the situation was kind of so, so, let's just say messed up, that even though this girl was with another man, she didn't even know who the father was. So she had to spend some time living with a family member and then end up in another town just to get away from it all. And then even after the birth, due to circumstances kind of outside of their control, they found themselves having to become asylum seekers in another country waiting for things to settle down so they could go home. You, you might have heard of that story. It's called the Christmas story. It's the story of Mary and Joseph, a young couple who, who fall pregnant and it's from the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many times has that been used? And, and end up having to flee, getting, giving birth in a stable, getting hunted by the government, by the leadership of that day to be killed and having to flee to Egypt and live as asylum seekers, as immigrants in another country for so long. Yet, God works all things together for good. All things. It's so easy at this time of year when we hand out our Christmas cards and we set up our Christmas trees and uh, create our nativity scenes and go for it, do it. Ours is already done, so we're off the hook. But go, go for it and do it. But it's so easy to think and create this picture of the circumstances of Jesus' life and his birth to be only good and amazing things. But we forget or we gloss over or we don't stop to take a minute to think about the exact circumstances for a woman of that time to be pregnant outside of marriage. I mean, we learn a few chapters over about the woman caught in adultery who was going to be stoned, going to be killed. For Joseph to take them on against all the ridicule and the scorning and what people must have been saying against him. And then the the stable, we make it look like the latest latest hipster attraction on Airbnb to go and stay in this amazing stable. But let's not forget that she gave birth on the floor on animal waste, picked up her baby and put him on rotting food in a food bowl. And we look at it and think, oh, this is so pretty. But there's a story that sits behind what what is on the front of our Christmas cards that is full of so many, so much trauma, so many bad things, so many horrible things, so many ugly things, but yet, still, God worked it all together for good, that we would have a saviour, and that we would have a, have a Lord to follow. Let's have a look really quickly, somewhat quickly, in Matthew chapter 2. We doing good? 
Excellent. There's four of us today. It's called The Escape to Egypt, and it's talking about just at the time after the wise men were gone. Now, remember, there's not three wise men. There were just wise men that brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I saw this week that there's a... um, there's a historical document being found that after the wise men left, the, wi- the wiser women turned up. And instead of gold, frankincense and myrrh, they bought nappies, a casserole and a tin of formula. Oh, see, some people find it funny, Mel. I told you they'd laugh. You guys can have that one. I'm never using it again. Matthew 2. Thanks, Holly. Verse 13, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt and the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. And this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. That's why they're called wise men, Herod. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, Weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Verse 19, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned... That the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus. He was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. Here's a story that happens kind of after the Christmas cards finish. After the nativity scene is packed up where Joseph has to take his family and flee to Egypt, where Herod does that despicable thing of, of, of killing all the children that were around the same age to try and remove the threat of the new king. And then when they come back from Egypt, find themselves not able to return home because there's a new threat in this situation. This is the bad and the ugly In the Christmas story that we sometimes forget about. Even Jesus had a Herod that was trying to disrupt the good that was happening in the world, not just his life for this time. But there's three things that come out of this chapter that are really quite important to understand because the at this point in history, the Jewish people and, and, and the world in reality, whether they knew it or not, were waiting for the Messiah to come. 
They were waiting for Jesus and they were looking for the signs because the Old Testament prophets, hundreds of years before, had given them prophecies, signs to look for to know that the Messiah had come, where he would be born, when he would be born, what he would do, where he would come from. And all these things had to fall into place for Jesus to be understood, recognized, and even to function as the Messiah for the Jewish people. And we see that highlighted in chapter 2 because here in this situation where Joseph feels like he is having to pack up his family and run to Egypt. What actually is happening is the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in verse 15 that said that the Messiah would have to come out of Egypt. In verse 18, in Jeremiah, it was foretold, it was prophesied that the birth of the Messiah would cause weeping across the land because of the death of all the children. And while Joseph thought that he may and Mary, they may have thought that they had caused this. It was something that unfortunately had to happen for the Messiah to be known to the world they were coming to. And in that last chapter, even after the Herod had died, the family went, had to go and live in a town called Nazareth. They couldn't go back to their hometown. So even though Joseph was still running in fear, even though the story was still full of bad and ugly, him being placed in Nazareth and Jesus growing up in Nazareth meant that he would be called a Nazarene and therefore fulfilled another prophecy. Without the bad and the ugly that Jesus had to go through, without having to flee to Egypt, without having to hear the cries of all the parents in the city, without having to go to another town that wasn't their hometown, Nazareth. Only because of that could he be recognized by the people that he was leading to be the Messiah. Because if he had never happened, he wouldn't have come out of Egypt, there wouldn't have been tears of all the mothers, and he wouldn't be known as a Nazarene. And the Old Testament prophecies would not be fulfilled. Why? Because God uses everything for good. Even in our life, when we feel like we are running for fear, causing pain in others or ourselves, feeling displaced, not able to return home, living outside of our comfort zone, however we may contextualize that into our life, God still uses that for good. He synergizes it together. And it's the same for us. Jesus needed to go through those things so that we as the world could see him as who he was meant to be. And it's so easy for us in our life to create a couple of compartments, the good things that have happened in our life and everything else, the bad and the ugly And we spend so much time sitting down, whining, sad, regretting, in misery, looking at our compartment of the bad and ugly that's happened in our life, regrets, mistakes, things that are inside and outside of our control, and saying, I can never be who God has called me to be. 
I can never fulfill the prophecy or the vision or the dream that God has for me in my life because of this incredibly large bucket of bad and ugly things that have happened. Look how small my good bucket is. But Romans 8.28 tells us that God uses everything to work together for good. Not just the good things that have happened in our life. I want to take a poll. Actually, no, instead of taking a poll, let's just be really honest with ourselves right now. How often, or maybe it would be easier to count it by how many times a week, do you lie in bed at night thinking of all the things that you wish you could change in your life? How many times during the day does a thought pop in your head? I wish I could go back to this point and create a different fork in the road for my future. If only I had a time machine, I would go back to this point in my life and I would do something different so that that event doesn't end up in my bad and ugly compartment and it can somehow end up in my good so that maybe God can use me a bit more. How many times an hour, a day, a week, Do we rattle that thought around in our brain? How many times do we look at the state of our life or the place where we wish it would be and bring it all back to that big pile of bad and ugly in our life and say, this is the reason why I'm here where I am. It may very well be. You may have made dumb decisions like taking your tiny car down a four-wheel drive track in the rain. You may find yourself at the bottom of a mountain that you can't get up out of. You might find yourself in a situation where your pride is not going to allow you to walk up to the main road and flag down a real man in a four-wheel drive to come and help you. But it doesn't matter. It's one big pile of good, bad, and ugly that God uses in our life. And just like Jesus had to go through those things so that we would recognize him as the Messiah, perhaps you've had to go through those things in your life so that the world that you live in can recognize you as what God has called you to be. That was really good, and you didn't even pick that one up. The things that you have had to go through in your life the things that rattle in your head, the things that you wish you could change, whether they were your fault or not, perhaps the fact that you went through them now means that the good, the bad, and the ugly can all be synergized to work together for good so that in your world where you are placed right now with the people that are looking to you for hope to be salt and light in their world can go, I can recognize that because they have been through this. And now they are that. So it says in John 16, verse 33, I think. Yep. Jesus is saying, in this life you will have trials and you will have sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. He wouldn't tell us that if we weren't going to face the bad and ugly things in our life. Let's not subscribe too much to John 10. 
I mean, let's subscribe to it, but let's, let's read the whole chapter. Because yes, Jesus came to give us an abundant life. But he had to do that because the enemy came to rob, kill, destroy and steal everything that we have. He wouldn't have had to come for an abundant life. He wouldn't have to tell us to take heart if we weren't having to face these things in our life. He wouldn't have to remind us that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because he is by our side if we didn't have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death each and every day in our life. But God, we know it, remember, uses all things, everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to somehow, in his mysterious way, magically make them, not magically, all work together for the good of those who love him. Regardless of our fault or not. There's a story that I wasn't sure if we were going to go down the track of this morning, but we will because the band kind of, everyone's kind of mentioned it already this morning, but we might get the band to come because I'm going to have my first conclusion. It's a story in Mark 4, and it's actually in a few different Gospels, but it's when Jesus calms a storm. I want to think about this as perhaps what God wants to say to our church this morning, knowing that even in the Christmas story of that amazing stable with the straw that looks so soft and it's so clean and quiet and the animals are so pristine. Even if our Lord had to face the story behind the story that we all have had to, that perhaps this Christmas we can realize that God's going to use everything about our story for the good of him, for the good of this world. There's a, and I, I want to I wanna finish with this story that we can take into Christmas this year. So Mark chapter 4, and Jesus had just been preaching to the multitudes and, and they're about to go out and there's a, there's a massive storm and Jesus calms it. That's the, that's the end. But there's a time at the start where they're preaching and Jesus says, we need to get to the other side of the lake. He says, come on, boys, let's go. All the disciples jump on board the boat and off they go. There's so much in this story. Now, sometimes you've just got to jump on the boat. You've got to leave the shore behind. You've got to get away from that which is tiring you. Spend some time with Jesus. But they did it. They jumped on the boat and the Bible tells us that a big storm came up. So much so that the waves were coming over the boat and beginning to fill it with water. And I love this. Jesus was asleep. What a guy. It says he was asleep at the front of the boat and his disciples come and wake him up. And they say, don't you care that we are going to drown? 
Don't you care that us disciples are going to drown in this boat? This is bad. This is ugly. The water's coming in. The waves are so big. Let's not forget, these guys were fishermen. They knew that the storm was coming. They still jumped on the boat. It wasn't even a surprise to them. They'd grown up doing this every day of their life. They were professional fishermen. They knew the storm was coming. They still got on the boat. They knew it was going to happen. The storm starts. They wake Jesus up and say, what are you, Why are you sleeping? Don't you care that we are going to drown? And Jesus wakes up, calms the storm. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And these guys had just seen Jesus doing miracles. Seen him healing, teaching. And he says, do you still have no faith? Do we still have no faith? Do we not sit here today as evidence of the miracle working power of God? Do we not sit here today having our lives restored, being redeemed to God, having seen healing spiritually, physically, emotionally? Do we not have faith that in any storm, any bad or ugly that we face, that Jesus is not in control? I mean, let's not forget that the disciples woke him and said, what are you going to do about this? Don't you care that I am going to drown? I mean, they weren't the only ones on the boat. Jesus was there with them. He was there in the boat. He was going to suffer the same fate that they were. Yet he slept peacefully at the front of the boat in the storm. There's a, there's a saying that I, I give to my kids. And uh, I tell them that they are not in control. No, I tell them that they are not in charge. But they are in control. They're not in charge of what we do and what happens in their life, but they are in control of how that happens in their life. I give them parameters. I give them boundaries. I tell them, plead with them, beg with them, try and convince them that I'm in charge. But I let them know that they are in control. I say to them, I'm in charge So on Saturday, we will go to the movies. And if you don't tell your mom, I'll buy you popcorn. But then I remind them that they are in control. Because although I have set boundaries, they are now in control of whether that happens or not. By their attitude, their response, the cleanliness of their room their behavior, the way they love one another, the way they treat other people. They are in control. And although I have said we will go to the movies because I am in charge, they are in control over whether that happens or not. 
Here's the thing. We're not in charge. We don't control the waves and the wind and the storm. We don't control the bad and the ugly. We're not in charge of the Herods, the needing to flee, the things that would rob, steal, kill and destroy our life. We have no charge over them, but we are in control by how we respond, by what we do, whether we remind ourselves that we are overcomers, that our Lord who travels with us in the boat has gone through the good, the bad and the ugly and he travels with us in the boat and he is in charge of the wind and the waves and the storm. So church... Let's mix up our big compartment here this morning of the good, the bad, and the ugly and stop telling ourselves that we're all about, all relying upon, all dependent upon the good things. But understand that God is here to work all things together for good. But let's realize this morning as we finish as we pray, as we worship, and as we sing this song about being still, that we're not in charge of what's happened in our life or what will happen, but we are in control. As to whether we give that to God, say, God, work all these things together for good, or whether we hold them in our compartment and let the thoughts rattle in our head at night, the regrets come, the pain to linger instead of giving it to the one who has already paid the price and taken it from us, who already walked through the good, the bad and the ugly and gave us the greatest story that we ever need to know, that a man came, he died for our sins and he rose so that we can fall asleep on the boat and sail through any storm that life would bring us, trusting all things work together for good let's stand and pray Lord we thank you that you didn't leave us alone in this world you told us that trials and sorrows would come but that we could take heart that we could be still in the midst of any storm of any bad and ugly that happens in our life knowing that not only are you with us but knowing, truly knowing that all things work together for good. Lord, right across this place this morning, would you bring into our minds, into our hearts, those things that we are holding on to, those events and circumstances that we have allowed to label us, And would we give them to you today? Holy Spirit, in this place right now, touch every heart and every mind. Lord, I pray for a renewing of people's minds this morning. As we reach out to you, would our mindset be changed? Would our heart be healed? Clean hearts, clear eyes to know 
that regardless of our past and what storm we may sail through, that all things will work together for good. Lord, we thank you. As we sing this morning, may you hear our worship. May we make it our prayer this morning that we will be still and we will know that you are with us, that you are Lord.